afternoon. Our next case is State versus Gilliard, and we'll hear from the appellants. May it please the court. My name is Amanda Zimmer, and along with Thomas Maher, I represent Tiaga Giard. I'd like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. This is a case where the state sought to convict Mr. Giard by using evidence of other conduct admitted under Rule 404 to overcome the lack of evidence about the circumstances related to the alleged murders of April Holland and Dwayne Garvey. The evidence of what occurred between Giard and Holland at the America's Best Value Inn on December 2, 2016 was largely found in text messages and on hotel video surveillance. Looking only at what happened on December 2nd, the evidence suggested Giard intended to make a consensual visit with a sex worker. He brought money and condoms and Holland let him into the room. Things went horribly wrong when Brandon Hill ran into Dwayne Garvey in the hallway. Hill inexplicably shot Garvey and then Holland was shot. Looking only at what happened on December 2nd, 2016, there was no evidence the shooting was planned or that Giard had attempted to rape or rob Holland. The state sought to make its case for first degree murder using evidence of Giard's alleged extreme mistreatment of three other women. The conduct alleged by these women was frightening, degrading, and violent. But when you look at the evidence of what happened between April Holland with April Holland and Duane Garvey, there was no evidence that Giard was involved in the shooting of Garvey, insufficient evidence to prove a premeditated and deliberated murder of Holland and insufficient evidence of any attempt to rob or rape Holland. I plan to focus the argument on the sufficiency of the evidence to show attempted rape and attempted robbery, issues 5C, 6D, and 7 in the brief. Particularly, I'd like to focus on the evidence used to support the overt act element of attempted rape and attempted robbery, the underlying felonies for felony murder. The 404B evidence could not show that this element was met. Because the jury found these felonies as the underlying felony for both felony murder and found the aggravating factor that the murder occurred during the course of these felonies, this element has implications for both the guilt phase of the trial and the sentencing phase. Turning to the idea of the overt act, this court has long recognized that an attempt has two elements, an intent to commit a felony and an overt act and furtherance of that intent. This court most recently addressed this in State versus Melton. And I have to apologize for a typo in our brief, which cites this case as being decided in 2008 when it was in fact decided in 2018. And in State versus Melton, this court addressed the overt element, overt act element in the context of a defendant who had been convicted of both solicitation to first degree murder and attempted first degree murder. And in that discussion, this court reiterated that an overt act must go beyond mere preparation and fall short of a completed offense. In discussing this, this court stated that it is essential that the defendant acting on the intent to commit a crime should have done some overt act adapted to approximating and which in the ordinary and likely course of things would have resulted in the completion of the crime. Overt acts are conduct that stands as either a first 
or some subsequent step in a direct movement towards co the commission of the offense after the preparations are made. In this analysis, this court considers what, left, what is left to be done before the crime could be completed. And it does not include conduct that is merely strongly corroborative of the actor's criminal purpose. This court recognized in Melton that between the preparation for the attempt and the attempt itself, there's a wide difference. The preparation consists of devising or arranging the means or measures necessary for the commission of the offense and the attempt is the direct movement towards the commission after the preparations are made. A sufficient overt act occurs when the act is apparently adapted to produce the result intended. Here, a rape or a robbery. And with all sufficiency questions, mere suspicion is not enough. If the facts only arise even strong suspicion, there's still not substantial evidence that the crime has occurred. So I'd like to turn first to the robbery charge in this case. Um, the elements of robbery are well known. The defendant needs to attempt to commit a larceny from the person or the person's presence while in possession or using or threatening the use of a firearm that endangers the life of the victim. In this case, we really don't have any evidence of what happened once Mr. Guillard went into April Holland's hotel room. We do know that the drawers were not pulled out and didn't appear rifled through. We know that money and jewelry were still sitting on the table. And we know that April Holland was not injured until she was shot twice. We have no evidence that once Guillard entered the hotel room, he threatened Holland with a gun. He did not enter the hotel room with his gun out. This is simply not sufficient evidence to show that Guillard attempted to rob Holland in the hotel room. Turning to the rape, I'd like to first point out that for an attempted rape, it's not enough for the state to show that Guillard went to the hotel intending to have sex with Holland. They had to show that it had, he intended to have sex with her by force, even if she resisted, and that he took acts in furtherance of committing that crime. In this case, as I said, April Holland had no injuries. She was not bound. There was a condom found in the room. It was opened and unused. April's clothes were in a relatively neat pile on the bed, did not appear to be forcibly removed. The money that Holland asked for in exchange for her services was on the table. Under these facts, we just don't have enough to show that Guillard had taken any overt act towards forcing April Holland to have sex with him. The state lumps these two crimes together to try to show that in fact an overt act occurred um, and relies largely on this Mr. Guillard allegedly contacting Hill and both men showing up at the hotel armed. But just showing up isn't enough and just having a gun isn't enough. We know from Carol Lamb's testimony that Guillard carried a gun even when he wasn't committing crimes. She said the first night she met him, he had a gun. So the mere presence of a gun is not enough. We also know that from State versus Jacobs out of the Court of Appeals. Um, and the state alleges that the, Mr. Guillard was armed when he went into the hotel room and Hill was nearby and that was an overt act. But Mr. 
Guillard didn't enter the hotel room with his gun out. And again, merely having the gun is not enough. And I don't know what Hill's involvement was because he goes off camera until he comes back down the hall chasing Garvey. So you, you might be heading here, but what, why isn't the 404B evidence, the substantial evidence that fills in the gap that you're saying is missing? Right. Well, I think the 404B evidence largely can go to intent, but it cannot show an overt act. It has to work together. And that brings couldn't me it, to... I was sort of getting at, couldn't <laughs> it explain what, in other words, that what the state is saying is they arrive together, this motel, where there's a sex worker armed. Why are they doing that? You know, why is that the overt act? Because here's evidence of this is the first step in their commission of this particular crime aimed at this particular vulnerable group of people. So why, why, why isn't that enough? Well, I think it's not enough because we don't really know that that was their intention that day. What we do know is we have Rachel Burden's testimony, Bessie Alexander's testimony about the assaults. We also have Carol Lamb's testimony that they, she met Guillard through another website and arranged to meet him and there was no crime. So yes, the state did present evidence of what happened to Rachel Burden and Bessie Alexander, and that may go to attempt, but or go to intent, I'm sorry, um, but I don't think it can go to the overt act, which brings me to sort of the second point I wanted to make about the attempted rape, which is that this court and the court of, well, predominantly the court of appeals, but in State versus Cooper, this court affirmed that decision. What they, this court said, or that court said, I'm sorry, was that there must be some evidence of an overt manifestation of an intended forcible sexual gratification. And that's really what's lacking here. We know that in the cases of Burden and Alexander, they immediately took steps to further a rape and a robbery. Those women both described Hill rushing in and Guillard being there, according to their testimony. They then start ransacking the room and immediately start subduing the woman involved. That just doesn't appear to happen here. We know that Hill did not immediately rush in behind Guillard, and we know that he was somewhere off camera at the hotel, but we don't have that same immediacy of action that happened with Rachel Burton and Bessie Alexander, and we just don't have that overt manifestation of an intent to rape or rob. So I would say that just getting to the place where the crime may occur is still preparation. That just does not rise up to the level of an overt act. That is not a direct step towards a commission of a criminal offense. It's still preparatory. I wanted to just briefly touch on the aggravating factor, because this is substantial for sentencing. Um, the state contends that this issue is not preserved for the reasons stated in the brief. We believe it is preserved, and it's significantly prejudicial that this aggravating factor was found such that a new sentencing is warranted. We know from cases like Cuisenberry and Goodman that tipping the scales with an aggravating factor is enough to require a new sentencing hearing. And here the jury was asked to only evaluate two aggravating factors and compare that with the 18 mitigating factors that they found. And we simply have no way of knowing how they weighed these factors. 
So if this court were to find that there was insufficient evidence to support the attempted rape and the attempted robbery, this would need to go back for a new capital sentencing proceeding on both charges because both cases involve the same aggravating factors. Um, I, for the reasons that we stated in the brief, this should go back for a new trial if this court finds that one of these theories was unsupported, even though there was a finding of premeditation and deliberation as well. Um, and unless there's questions about this issue or any others, I would just briefly wrap up. I do have one quick question, just a factual question. I want to understand your interpretation of the record, but at the, um, at the time they arrived at this uh, motel, did they know that Harvey would be there as well? What, what was there, there before they sort of get into the hallway? What knowledge is there in the record that they knew that? In the record, we, we don't have any knowledge. We don't have any knowledge of what happens, of how they get to the hotel. We don't have any video of them coming into the hotel. We do know from the video that they passed by Garvey. We don't know if they knew he was somehow affiliated with April Holland when they passed. The text messages don't mention Garvey. And so is it possible that the state's position is they, uh, that was sort of a surprise that up until the point when they're in the hallway, and so they're preparing to go and commit the crime. They've done all the things they need to set up to commit these crimes. And then there's sort of a wrinkle, something unexpected that's different from the earlier. Right. I, I do believe that is the state's position, that they did not know he would be there, but they, there's just no evidence in this record of what happened between Hill and Garvey, what, what if any impact Garvey had, and, and it doesn't seem to have changed Mr. Giard's plan to meet April Holland. He goes to the door, he knocks on the door, she lets him in. That's what we can see in the video. Unfortunately, that's all there is, and there is a blind spot in the video that just doesn't show what happened. So I'll just reiterate that this court has repeatedly said that evidence is insufficient if it is only arouses a suspicion about the facts to be proved, even if the suspicion is strong. Can, can I just follow up on the question of what the 404B evidence is competent to establish in this case? Because um, it, it's uh, admitted to prove more than just intent. It can prove um, identity, plan, a common scheme. So mm -hmm. isn't it also relevant on those issues in this case? Yes, I do think it is relevant to those issues per the judge's instruction, which as we have stated in the brief, we do not think this evidence was properly admitted and the limiting instruction should have been more limiting. But there, it again can only go to planning. That overt act requires something beyond planning and preparation. So while that 404B evidence can be relevant to a plan, I don't, again, think it can rise to the level of filling in the hole that is the lack of evidence of an overt act a direct step towards committing a robbery or a rape. For the reasons stated here and in the briefs, Mr. Giard would request that this court vacate his convictions or alternatively remand for a new trial or new capital sentencing proceeding. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Hear from the FLE. Good afternoon, may it please the court. My name is Heidi Williams. I'm an assistant attorney general at the North Carolina Department of Justice and I represent the state in this matter. 
Uh, before I get into uh, opposing counsel's arguments regarding the sufficiency of the evidence and, and 404B, I think there are two very important underlying considerations for this court as it assesses those issues and particularly whether or not the defendant can show prejudice in, in those issues. Um, the first underlying consideration for this court is the fact that the jury here found defendant guilty on not one but two theories of first-degree murder. <coughs> so the arguments that the defendant has put before the court today at oral argument all pertained to the, the felony murder um, theory of first-degree murder on which the jury found the defendant guilty. But the jury also found that defendant was guilty under the theory of premeditation and deliberation. The other thing that the state would emphasize to this court before I get into the actual arguments of the issues here at oral argument is that the shootings here were both captured on surveillance footage from, from the hotel. And that video, um, watched carefully and closely, is, is very powerful and strong evidence of the state's case. Uh, the, the hotel surveillance footage shows that defendant and Brandon Hill, after defendant and only defendant, had arranged to meet April for a half hour of sex for pay, stood down the hallway from April, April's door for several minutes, engaged in a discussion before they started to approach her door. Now, when they started to approach her door, the defendant was walking in front. He got to the point where he was directly in front of April's door, and Hill was following behind. And before... Uh, defendant had even entered April's door, Dwayne Garvey came out of an adjacent hallway to the room, and the video evidence shows that Gar Mr. Garvey, in fact, walked in between defendant and Mr. Hill. So from the very get-go, uh, before defendant had even entered the room, there was this factor that had become present that the defendant and Mr. Hill weren't accounting for. Uh, you can see from the video evidence that, that as uh, Mr. Garvey is proceeding down the hallway, he turns and, and looks at the defendant, and the defendant lifts up his head and, and looks back in response, and there's this moment of something's not right here. And in fact, the record shows that before defendant entered the room, Mr. Garvey texted, an, texted April a warning that two men, not one, that, they, that she had been planning on were present outside her door. April texted back, okay, go wait by the vending machine and proceeds to let Mr. Me, defendant into her room. Uh, when Garvey then texts her, hey, will you let me know you're okay? And she doesn't respond. A short time later, he comes back and starts pounding on the door, realizing that something is amiss. The video footage also shows that when Mr. Garvey started pounding on the door, Hill jumped from the adjacent hallway and this time brandishing a handgun, which he uses to shoot Mr. Garvey, who is unarmed and not in any way, has in no way provoked the confrontation several times, resulting in Mr. Garvey's death. The video evidence then shows that defendant exits April Holland's room, he, he turns back, he lifts his arm, and he fires multiple shots into the room, which struck April in the chest and the head. The state would would uh, suggest to this court that that video surveillance footage, apart from any of this discussion about felony murder and whether there was attempted rape or attempted robbery, obviously the state believes that there was adequate evidence to prove those things as well. But here the jury found defendant guilty on the theory of premeditation and deliberation, and the video evidence is overwhelmingly supportive of that theory. That said, I'll 
uh, now respond briefly to the, the issues that defendant has raised at oral argument here today. So as to issue five, which is the sufficiency of the evidence um, for the trial to put that, that um, potential charge in front of the jury. At the outset, when addressing the sufficiency claim, the evidence must be viewed in a light most favorable to the state, giving the state the benefit of every reasonable doubt. Now, here we, the defendant has challenged the evidence of the attempted rape and the attempted robbery. As to the attempted rape, the substantive offense of first-degree rape occurs when a person engages in vaginal intercourse with another person by force and against the will of that person and uses threats, uses, threatens to use or displays a dangerous or deadly weapon. Now, the defendant has argued that there was not an overt act, that the only evidence at issue in this case was mere preparation. The state would submit that that's not an accurate reading of the evidence. Uh, here, obviously, um, the, we have this 404B evidence, and that can be considered in conjunction with this theory of attempted murder, or, or excuse me, attempted robbery or attempted rape. The record su supports that defendant had raped and robbed both uh, Rachel Burden and, and Bessie Alexander less than two months before his encounter with Holland. He had set up the meeting with Holland in virtually the same way he had set up his meeting with Burden and Alexander, meaning that he contacted them through Backpage. He had suggested that only one person would be showing up for a sexual encounter, yet then he showed up to the hotel armed and with a second man who was also armed. In addition, there were facts showing that, that he had a, a plan as far as he would meet these women at hotels. Uh, also important here is that before defendant met, came to the hotel with Hill, he texted Brandon Hill, I got one, which suggests almost kind of this mentality that defendant and Hill were out hunting for people they could prey on. As to the attempted robbery, um, a robbery with a firearm occurs when a person who having in possession or with the use or threatened use of any firearm takes property from another person whereby the life of a person is endangered or threatened. Again, here the evidence from Bessie Alexander and Rachel Burden overwhelmingly supported that defendant had more than just a consensual sexual encounter by virtue of the fact that the meeting he set up with Miss Holland mirrored so closely the, the encounters he had with Holland, or excuse me, with Alexander and with Burden. So do I understand your argument to be then that the 404B evidence can prove the overt act? Uh, Your Honor, I don't think it's the state's position that the 404B evidence is proving the overt act. It is certainly providing context, and I think this court can appropriately consider it for determining, all right, when did we get to the point where the defendant and Mr. Hill are actually seeking to uh, effect a crime, right? So what then is your contention as the evidence that they had engaged in overt acts furthering to prove these two attempts? Your Honor, the state's position would be that at least at the point when defendant entered April's hotel room armed, that, I, I, that was at least at that point, that was an overact in furtherance of the crime. Now, it may be that even some of defendants and Hill's actions before that point 
went beyond mere preparation towards the actual commission, uh, commissioning of the crime, but the state's position would be that at the very least, at the point defendant carrying a concealed weapon with Hill as his backup enters April's hotel room, that was a sufficient overt act in order, in order to um, prove that defendant had engaged in, attempt, in these attempted crimes. The state would also point out that the defendant argues uh, that this evidence only fell to mere preparation. I would remind this court that in State versus Gammons, this court explained that having an intent to commit a rape is an attitude or emotion of the mind and is seldom, if ever, susceptible to proof by direct evidence. So what was in the defendant's mind when he entered April's room will ordinarily be proven by circumstantial evidence, so by facts and circumstances which may be inferred from the evidence. And here, this is where we get back to that 404B evidence, where I think that provides a lot of the inference or circumstantial proof of what defendant's intent was when he entered April's hotel room. Addressing the defendant's challenge to the 404B evidence, this court has made clear that rule 404B is a rule of inclusion uh, that allows relevant evidence of crimes, wrongs, or other acts, with the only exception being when the only probative value of that evidence is to show that the defendant had a propensity or disposition to commit an offense of the nature of the charged crime. This court has emphasized that evidence that it is admissible under Rule 404B does not require identical or even near identical circumstances between the charged offense and the prior bad act to make the evidence of the prior acts admissible. All that is required is that there be some unusual facts that go to a purpose other than propensity. And here I think there is there are several unusual facts. Again, the way in which defendant met these women the way uh, he approached them, having set up sex for one individual and showing up with a second individual, both men being armed. The, the proximity and time between the crimes is also, uh, it's, it's a very short period of time. Uh, the assault against Bessie Alexander took place in October of 2016, as did the assault against Rachel Burden. And it was less than two months later that defendant showed up at the door of April Holland uh, the evidence supporting that he was there to do the same thing until Mr. Dwayne Garvey threw a wrench in their plans. Uh, both of these cases involved the men being armed with pistols. They, both, they all took place at low-cost hotels in Wake County. They all involved violence that was in no way provoked by the women who were the victims um, of the attacks by, by uh, Hill and defendant. Um, and in light of the similarities, the unusual similarities between this evidence, there, there was no, uh, no error in the trial court's admission of, of these other acts under 404B. Uh, just touching briefly on the aggravating circumstances that defendant addressed. So in issue seven of the defendant's brief, uh, they argue that the trial court erred by submitting uh, the aggravating factor E5 as a circumstance for the jury. Uh, that was one of their aggravating circumstances. That, that provides that um, 
It is an aggravating circumstance when a capital felony was committed while the defendant was engaged or was an aider or better in the commission of or an attempt to commit or flight after committing or attempting to commit any homicide, robbery, rape, or sex offense. The state would purport that, again, the evidence particularly regarding uh, Rachel Burden and Bessie Alexander easily supported that aggravating factor in the sentencing phase. Uh, on issue nine, the defendant in their brief also raised issues regarding aggravating circumstances, contesting that the trial court erred in its instructions on the aggravating circumstances. Um, at the outset, the defendant did not object to the trial court's instructions below, so this issue is reviewed uh, for plain error. The rule from State versus Gibbs that this court articulated in 1993 does provide that a trial court may not submit multiple aggravating factors in a capital case if those circumstances are supported by precisely the same evidence. That was not the case here. So in uh, below the trial court submitted both E5, which was when the crime was committed during the commission of a felony and E11, which was that the crime was committed as, as part of a course of conduct. Here, with regard to E5, again, the evidence from Rachel Burden, Bessie Alexander, supported that there was, this crime occurred during the commission of a felony. With regard to E11, uh, the course of conduct was established by additional evidence that the state presented during the sentencing phase of the trial involving Kiana Tripp, Serena Sims, Carol Lamb, and Kiana McMillan. All of these individuals did not testify at the, at the guilt phase, and they weren't permitted to testify because their, the circumstances of their offenses the lower court determined were different enough that perhaps they would not have been admissible under 404B, but they were all circumstances in which defendant sought out prostitutes in the research triangle region and committed various crimes against them. For that reason, because the evidence going to each of those aggravating factors was not completely overlapping, the trial court did not err in, in not giving an instruction, or excuse me, did not plainly err, which is the defendant's uh, burden to prove in providing that instruction to the jury at sentencing. Again, the state would encourage this court that beyond even the felony murder theory that defendant has predominantly focused on today, the evidence from the video surveillance footage overwhelmingly established defendant's guilt under both the felony murder theory in light of the context of the other evidence presented, properly presented at trial, and on the theory of premeditation and deliberation based on the video evidence of the circumstances of the crime itself that were visible to the jury. For these reasons, the state respectfully asks this court to affirm defendant's sentences and convictions. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Rebuttal. May it please the court. I'd like to focus back onto these two attempt crimes and touch on the state's assertion now that merely entering the room was the overt act and continue to say that that is part of the preparation and not a direct movement towards the crime. The state relies on the 404B evidence to say that this is a direct movement towards the crime, but what it fails to recognize is that this is different from the testimony that Alexander 
and burden gave regarding what happened to them. This is not the plan as they testified to. And I would point this court to State versus Miller, a decision involving a robbery case. In that case, the defendant snuck up on the victim while the victim was sitting in a van in his truck and subsequently shot him. And then he didn't take any money because he got scared and he ran away. And this court said that was sufficient evidence of robbery. But what they said regarding the overt act was that once the defendant placed his hand on his pistol to withdraw it with the intent of shooting and robbing Mr. Moore, he could no longer abandon the crime of attempted robbery. That is the kind of direct movement we are looking for in an overt act. And here we do know that Mr. Giard allegedly pulled out his gun and shot April Holland at the hotel. But we don't know that she was threatened at that point. We don't know that he demanded money. We don't have audio on the video. The video evidence can only go so far here. And it shows the shooting. What it can't show is what was said between Brandon Hill and Mr. Giard and Garvey. It can't show that Hill was waiting down the hall. We don't know where he was. He goes off video. The state can speculate about what occurred while Mr. Giard was in the hotel room and what Mr. Hill did during that time. But it is just that. It is speculation. And they are leaning too hard into what happened in these other cases to try to get to these crimes. For the reasons stated in the brief, we do contend that the evidence of premeditation and deliberation was not sufficient. This all happened very quickly with regard to Ms. Holland and Mr. Garvey. Um, We'll stand on the brief for the reasons that the premeditation and deliberation is not sufficient. But I just want to reiterate that an overt act has to be a direct movement towards the commission of the crime. And simply put, the 404B evidence just can't bear that burden here. So for the reasons stated in the brief and in this argument, we'd ask that this court reverse the convictions or remand for a new trial or a new sentencing hearing. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you both. Court.